Thanks for listening to another message from Life Christian Church. We hope it challenges and encourages you and helps you to grow in your faith. Don't forget, download our app to stay up to date with what's going on at Life. Share your prayer requests or pray for others. Read the Bible online and much, much more. Simply search for Life Christian Church in your app store. Hey, we're uh, wrapping up uh, the series that we began a while ago called Learning to Listen. And uh, it's the final part today. And uh, even though we've done a series in this and we're kind of wrapping it up today, it needs to be an ongoing thing that we're positioning ourselves to hear from God. Do I hear from God? Do I recognize God's voice when he does speak? Am I doing the things in life that actually position me and allow me to hear from God? Am I actively listening for his voice? And how is it that God does speak to us? They're the kinds of things that we've been unpacking through this. And I would suggest that this issue of hearing from God is the difference between Christianity just being some kind of religion that we uh, agree with and we live understanding the principles of Christianity and we discipline ourselves to a, a, a set of disciplines. Uh, and, and I tell you what, when it's just religion, it is such hard work. And I think learning to hear from God, learning to listen and recognizing that we have a living God who actively wants to be pursuing us, actively wants to draw us into his master plan, actively wants to be engaged in our lives. You're not here on this earth by accident. You are created for a great purpose. And Pastor Andrew spoke into that a couple of weeks ago, and that was an outstanding message. And we need to be really living our lives intentionally on mission for God. So I pray that for you, in learning to listen, in learning to hear the voice of God, that we're not stuck in some kind of religious rut, just going kind of through the Christian routine of doing life, because that was the way I was raised, and that's the worldview that I've embraced. And so I'll just discipline myself to keeping these things that I understand a part of the whole Christian walk. But if we learn to hear from God, if we acknowledge and appreciate the fact that God is alive and that by His Holy Spirit, He wants to occupy our lives, it is that that brings the whole thing to life. It is that that makes the whole thing make sense. It is that that brings fulfillment. It is that that satisfied the deepest needs of our hearts, our lives, our spirits. Through this series, we've talked about communication. And uh, it might be stating the obvious, but any relationship fails on the basis of poor communication. And it is exactly the same with our relationship with God. Because again, it's not religion, it's relationship. We are in a relationship with a very real and living God. If our communication with God is poor at best, that will be a re reflection of what our relationship with God looks like. It will be poor at best. We look through this series at the young boy Samuel. Samuel was an apprentice to an old priest called Levi. And here he is asleep in the temple one night. And God calls to Samuel. 
Samuel didn't recognize the voice that it was the voice of God. He thought that it was Eli calling to him. And so he goes to Eli and Eli says on three occasions, I didn't call you, I didn't call you, I didn't call you. And it took a while for the penny to drop and Eli suddenly realized maybe it's God speaking to Samuel. And in fact, that's what it was. And we kind of unpack the fact or the reasons why it was that God bypassed the old seasoned priest Eli and speaks to a young teenage boy, Samuel. And we unpack what that will look like. Now, I gave you a little bit of uh, an exercise through this uh, series, and that was to form a practice where we are praying, and it's a very simple prayer, but a powerful prayer, where we are praying the prayer of Samuel, which simply was, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And I really believe if we can make that a daily disposition, if we just start our day with, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening, that is going to be such a key to healthy communication with God in our lives. Friends, it's not God who has a problem speaking. It is us who at times have a hard time listening. The last part of this series, we actually uh, looked at Habakkuk. Uh, and we looked at it in the context of how to be receptive to God. How to, to, to be responsive to God's voice. Because Habakkuk, as we unpack that, was really eager to hear from God. And friends, we have to also be really eager to hear from God. And there is no question at times it can be hard to hear the voice of God. At times uh, there are so many competing distractions in life, it's hard to find the time to sit and wait upon God and have that daily quiet time where it, allow, it allows God in that still small voice of His Holy Spirit just to speak to our hearts. How hungry are we, friends, to hear from God? Are we actually prepared to do whatever it takes to be in that place where we're hearing from God? And the lesson that I want to dig into today as we wrap this up comes from um, uh, Joshua in chapter 1. And it's all about the obedience that when God does speak, do we follow through? When God speaks, do we go, you know what, my only course of action here when God has given clear direction is for me to move forward into what it is that God has instructed me to do. So I'll read from Joshua chapter 1, starting at verse 1. And this is an extended passage, so follow along on the screen. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their forefathers to give them. Be strong and very courageous. 
Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. I have not commanded, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified, do not be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Verse 10, so Joshua ordered the officers of the people, go through the camp and tell the people, get your supplies ready. Three days from now you will cross the Jordan here to go, into the land, to, to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you for your own. But to the Reubenites, the Gadites and the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the command that Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you. The Lord your God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Your wives, your children, your livestock may stay in the land that Moses gave you east of the Jordan. But all your fighting men, fully armed, must cross over ahead of your brothers. You are, able to, you are to help your brothers until the Lord gives them rest as he has done for you. And until they too have taken possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving them. After that, you may go back and occupy your own land, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you east of the Jordan toward the sunrise. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, we will obey you. Only may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you command them will be put to death. Only be strong and courageous. This is a really, really rich story. Friends, the voice that we listen to will determine the outcomes of our life. And there are a lot of voices that give us input. And the voice that we pay the greatest attention to will determine the outcomes of our life. A lot of people are really emotionally driven. And so how they respond emotionally to a given circumstance, a given situation, a given pressure, a given trial, how they respond emotionally to a decision directs what the outcome or directs what their response will be to that thing. But who knows that your emotions are incredibly unreliable. In fact, the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked among all things. And speaking of the heart, it's speaking of that emotional disposition. It is simply not reliable. And yet we live in a culture today where so many people go by feelings. Oh, I just don't feel that's the right thing to do. Or that great catchphrase that just annoys the, out of me. Um, this is my truth. And it's all this emotionally driven, uh, me-focused, me-centered thing. And, and if we're like that, it is going to lead us down a very, very unreliable path because our emotions cannot be trusted. Feelings cannot be trusted. Then we also have the very, very real thing that we need to contend with which is a very loud voice at times, which is the voice of the enemy. The devil loves to distract you. The devil loves to discourage you. The devil loves to continue to revisit your past and revisit your failure and revisit your sin. 
That's what he does because he's the, the king of condemnation. And when it comes to the things of God, the devil loves to whisper things like, well, who do you think you are? You think you can have a relationship with God. The devil loves to whisper to you and say, you think God's got a purpose for your life? Why? Look at your life. It's just a mess. And often that voice can be so loud and often we can be lulled into actually believing the lies of a devil who says you're nothing instead of listening to the voice of God who says you're redeemed. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're my child. You're my friend. And I've created you for a purpose. And everything that we have in and through Christ counters the lies that the devil loves for us to believe. Because the greatest voice that we need to listen to, the voice that needs to be guiding the most important and critical decisions about life is the voice of the God who created us. Because friends, the Bible is really, really clear. We are in a spiritual battle. We have an enemy prowling around, roaring like a lion, looking for who he might devour. And he loves, he just loves to bring us unstuck. And so we've got to instead learn to listen to the voice of God who wants us to understand who we are in Him, who wants to understand the promises which are so very real for us to take a hold of today, the promises that guide our future, the promises that guide our decisions, the promises that give us hope, the promises that just expand our horizons and to learn to listen to the voice of God. And friends, we can know the voice of God. We can understand the voice of God. And this relationship that we are in with God has this beautiful two-way communication. It's a beautiful relationship. I can go to God with my struggles. I can go to God with my frustrations. I can go to God with my anxieties. I can go to God with my fears. I can go to God with my concerns. And the reason that I take all of that stuff to Him is because God is bigger than that stuff. And then God just continues to whisper his promises. God continues to carry our burdens. God continues to walk with us on that journey. He answers us with his love, with his reassurance, with his strength, with his guidance. He answers us with his will for our lives. And there are way, way, way too many Christians today who are trying to fight a spiritual battle in their own resources and it can never work. People that find themselves in a state of spiritual fatigue because they're not taking that time to be found in the presence of God where He just breathes life. And we're trying to fight so often a battle on our own simply because we're not taking the time to be found in the presence of God. And it can never, ever work. If we're trying to fight a battle on our own, we're going to end up being a casualty of our own battle. And so we must position ourselves way better if we are to hear, to understand, if we're to listen and follow the voice of God. That when He speaks, we can actually move forward in confidence. So I want to learn from Joshua just a few things. And the book of Joshua actually begins, as we read, 
with an opening statement which essentially says, Moses, my servant, is dead, now go. And I think the lesson there for Joshua and perhaps for us as well is let go of the past. This is a new day. Let go of the past, go. Israel, who looked to Moses, and now Moses, that great leader, is dead. But Israel had not yet entered the promised land. They'd not yet entered Canaan. And if you're familiar with the story, they were supposed to be there 40 years ago. But through stubbornness, through rebellion, through fear, through a lack of faith, the nation of Israel wandered in a huge circle in the desert for 40 years. And here's the thing. They had actually learned to survive in the desert. There are generations that that's all they had known. They'd been born into that time of wandering. And over those past couple of generations, the nation of Israel had become really, really good at the nomadic thing, just wandering around. That had become really familiar. We're doing okay. Do we really need to change all of that? To change what is familiar and put down roots, settle in a new land? I mean, there's enemies to be conquered. That's not actually an appealing or easy option right now. And the thought of just kind of continuing to live this nomadic sort of life, it has a certain appeal. Yeah, it does have some drawbacks. But the thought of change is just a little bit too daunting. And friends, there's a great lesson right there. Sometimes we get way too comfortable where we're at. We get by. We think we're doing okay. It certainly might feel a little bit boring or routine at times, but at least it's safe. But it was not God's will for Israel to remain in the wilderness. He had far, far, far better things for them. He had more for them than just wandering around, achieving nothing, going nowhere. God needed a person who would take the people forward and Joshua was the man that God raised for that moment. Joshua was not content just to sit around and to remain comfortable, to stay in a familiar place. Joshua wanted to see God's will fulfilled. He wanted to do something significant for God. Israel have a choice. They could stay the way they were, which is actually a place of disobedience and rebellion. Or they could trust God. They could trust the promises of God that he had made to Israel for generations upon generations. They could move forward into all that God said the land of Canaan would be for them. And here's one of the things that I think is 
really, really sad. That in the church today, there's probably a strong percentage of Christians who come to church day after day, week after week. But the only experience they have or they know of God is actually hearing what God has been doing in everybody else's life. They've never actually experienced that for themselves. They've never experienced God moving, God directing, God providing, God doing miraculous things. And one of the reasons they haven't experienced that for themselves is that they've never ever stepped out to trust God to do something that only God can do. That's the essence of faith-filled living. God, I've got a decision to make. God, I've got something in front of me. And the only way it's going to happen, in the natural, it's not going to work. I can't work this out myself. But God, I'm stepping forward to trust you. And it's in that place that we see God move. Don't ever become satisfied just to show up to the gathering of believers and stand there and rejoice for everybody else's wins. I want to hear your testimony of what God is doing in your life because you were bold enough and courageous enough and faith-filled enough to say, God, I'm on this adventure and I trust you. And my trust in you is a sign of my relationship with you because I know you to be true. I know you to be there. I know you to be real. I know your love. I'm in communication with you. And God, I trust you. And that's the place where great testimony of what a a, a supernatural God can do in and through our lives. And the basis of it is our trust and our obedience. Can I hear an amen? Hunger for something deeper. Hunger for something richer, hunger for something more fulfilling because we have a choice. We can stay in the wilderness, a place of dryness, or we can move into Canaan, the promised land. It's hard to understand why anybody would want to stay in a place of wilderness, but it's a choice. There's some really obvious symptoms of people who are stuck in a spiritual wilderness. First of all, in the wilderness, there is a great restlessness. We see all of this reflected in the wilderness journey of Israel. In in, in the desert, Israel had no secure home. They didn't know from one day to the next where they would end up and where they would be. And I think that translates to us, if we're in a spiritual place of dryness and spiritual wilderness, there is a great restlessness. And you're never going to find fulfillment in a wilderness. There's discontent in the wilderness and you look at the complaint of Israel towards God and towards Moses, towards the leaders. It was non-stop. Didn't matter what God was doing and how God was providing, they just continued to complain. And it's often the case today that a Christian who is in a place of dryness in a spiritual wilderness They'll actually be so self-absorbed and so self-focused with all of their problems and all of their issues and all of their you know, complaints. The focus is all inward and there's no capacity to look beyond themselves and particularly to look to the needs of others around them. In the wilderness, it goes to, without saying, it's, it's not a place of fruitfulness. 
Now, Israel certainly had some victories in the wilderness. There was a few battles that they had to fight. But in those battles, they never actually took enemy territory. They just fought a battle and it was done and they just continued on their way. There was no advantage taken. There was no territory gained. And I think, friends, when a Christian is in that dry place, there's a restlessness, there's a discontent, there's no fruit. And in that place, I think the only thing that we have to show for who we are as God's people, the thing that defines us is the things that we don't do, not the things that we do do. That people know us not for what we stand for, but people know us for what we stand against. And I would suggest that your social media feeds are filled with the opinions of barren, dry Christians who need a platform. And they're just spewing hate. They're spewing anything but the love of God on a social media platform, hoping hoping to gain an audience, hoping for somebody to actually endorse their position. And all they get is the discontented grumblings of everybody else who also is dry and barren and disconnected. Be really careful on your social media feeds, please. Careful what voice you're listening to. You got that for nothing. It wasn't in my notes. The other thing that happens that's very, very obvious in the life of a Christian when we are in that dry place is we actually become really, really negative people. Israel's life in the desert was this roller coaster ride, all the ups and all the downs. If things went really, really well, they were a people of great faith and confident faith and praise God. When things went bad, they complained and they whinged and they whined and they said, we just want to go back to Egypt, which is like, hey guys, Think of what you're saying there. That was a place of slavery. Friends, God has so much for us. God has so much for you. God wanted Israel to move into a land flowing with milk and honey. That was the promise. And yet some were arguing, it's just safer in the desert. Wow. Now that's cool if you're happy with that. I got no idea, we're in our fourth decade of ministry now. I got no idea where we would be. No idea where Kerry and I would be if we didn't encounter God, didn't hear from God, and then didn't step out in obedience when God spoke. I have no idea what our lives would look like, but I do guarantee this. There would be a lot of discontent, there'd be a lot of frustration, and there would be a whole bunch of regrets. And in 33 years of ministry, we have had to make so many faith decisions and not one single one of those decisions was ever a safe decision because I don't think faith decisions can ever be safe because if they're safe, they don't need faith. And the first thing that Joshua had to do was to let go of the past. My servant Moses is dead, now go. The second thing he had to do was trust the promises of God. What was the promise? 
Simply, it was their inheritance. It was the problem. It was the promise that God had given to Abraham way back in the book of Genesis. It was the promise that it was passed on to his descendants. Genesis 17 and 6, I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. To be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you are now an alien, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you. And I will be their God. To Joshua, as we've read in verse 3, I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates and all the Hittite country to the great sea on the west. No one will be able to stand up against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. That is the promise of God. It is done. It is guaranteed. And in the same way, there are so many promises that God gives to us, but we've got to be willing, we've got to be hungry, and we've got to be positioned to receive them. But we also must move forward in obedience to receive them. And here's a really, really interesting observation. When you look at Joshua 1 and 3 in the New King James, it says this, Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given you, as I said to Moses. God put the promise in the past tense. He doesn't say, I will give you. He says, I have. It is done. We've got a lot of teachers in the room, and I know uh, a lot of schools actually do a trip to Canberra. Who's been on a Canberra school trip? Come on, look at all the brave people. Oh, and some ex-students as well. Uh, just imagine this. Imagine there's a school trip to Canberra and they're looking around Parliament House and a school kid goes up to one of the guards and says, if I wanted to buy Parliament House, how much would it cost? And I imagine the guard said, well, how much money you got? He says, oh, I've got about five bucks. And the guard would probably say three things. Number one... $5 is not enough to buy Parliament House. In fact, $5 million is not enough to buy Parliament House. Number two, Parliament House is actually not for sale. And number three, if you're an Australian citizen, you already own it. Let that sink in. The promises of God are there. God put the promises for Israel in the past tense. It's there. I have given it to you. I have given it to you, but you haven't yet occupied the promise because you haven't stepped out and walked trusting me into what I have already secured for you. You got it? And so there is the obedience. Friends, how often do we actually go to God asking Him for things that He's already promised us? Ephesians 1 and 3, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Sometimes we go to God, I've said this so many times, we go to God as a beggar saying, please God, would you do this? Please God, would you do that? Please God, would you do this? That is not the language of faith. The language of faith is thank you God. Thank you, God, that you've done that. Thank you, God, that you said this. Thank you, God, that that is something that I know is a promise. And if it's not for now, it's for the future. 
that God is the same yesterday, today and forever. And I just need to have the faith to say, God, I'm walking in to what you have already promised is for me there, there for me to take a hold of. And we thank God. We thank God. And again, it's an aside, but I, I, I don't know how to pray. I pray with our friends in Myanmar every time I speak to them. And I'm struggling, but one of the things that I do is continually thank God. Then in the midst of their anguish, in the midst of countless, countless prayers that they're praying that this coup would come to an end, for whatever reason God is tarrying, we know that God has a purpose. And so we thank Him for what He has done. We thank Him for what He's doing. And we thank Him for what He's yet to do because that's the language of faith. Not please, God, oh please. We don't approach God as a beggar. We approach God as a friend, as an, an heir. We are heirs of God. And we've got to start, we've got to start living like it. We hear his voice and we obey his word. So stop living in the past. Trust the promises of God. This is what God is saying to Joshua and to us. And then thirdly, rely on the presence of God. This is a big one. Because a promise isn't enough. Not enough for Joshua, not enough for us. It was the promise of God, but it required the presence of God. And it's interesting that Joshua had to be reminded by three, three times by God, just in those few verses that we read, to be strong and courageous. Why? Verse 9, he says, Be strong and courageous. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. God's obviously identifying, and for the fact that he had repeated a few times, he's seeing in Joshua, there's a weakness there. Maybe there's a fear there. Because when he says be strong, obviously God's saying, you're feeling weak right now. Be strong. Be courageous. God's going, hey, you're feeling a little bit, uh, a little bit fearful right now. Be courageous. Don't be terrified. Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Maybe he's thinking uh, it's not worth it. Yeah, uh, maybe staying in the desert's an option. Maybe he was saying to himself, which we all say to ourselves, I'm not fit for what it is that God has called me to do. And friends, this story should be an encouragement to all of us because we all feel weak, we all feel frightened, we all feel overwhelmed at the thought of serving God. How often do we use the excuse to ourselves, well, I'm weak, I'm nothing, I don't have anything of value, I'm aware of my own failings. I look at my past, I listen to all those whispers of the devil. And yet this is exactly who God chooses to use. Weak vessels like you and me. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 and 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. You and I are those earthen vessels, those jars of clay. They are fragile, they are imperfect. But what's the treasure in jars of clay? The treasure is the presence of God, His Holy Spirit. It is the presence of God Himself. You go in that power, you go in that strength, you go in that confidence. And God has chosen the weak, the worthless, common clay pots like us to empower and to infill with his Holy Spirit in order that it's him who gets the glory, not us. And God says, be strong and be courageous. 
Friends, God does not ask Joshua to do something without the promise of being there to stand right alongside of him. And the same is still true today. God will not ask you to do anything without also being there to enable you to do it. And that lesson is for me as much as it is for you guys. Matthew 28 and 19, the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is our mission. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The God who calls us will always be there with us. The God who calls us will always enable us. The God who calls us will always equip us. That is God's commitment to us. He demonstrated that truth to Moses. He demonstrates that truth to Joshua. And friends, he does the same for you and I. And if we are going to walk confidently in this world as God's people, if we are going to grow and mature as Christians, if we are going to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to accomplish what God has called us to do, we've got to learn to listen to the right voices in life. Amen. There is the voice, the internal voice of our emotions, which is not reliable. There is the external voice of the devil and the lies that he brings that we so easily believe. And that voice is loud. That voice is intimidating. That voice can be paralyzing. And if we listen to that voice and believe those lies, we're going to be paralyzed and not do a thing. Even for Joshua, they discovered there's the voice of the inhabitants of the land. What does that look like for us? Well, for us, there's a whole bunch of cultural voices that are so loud and so overwhelming. And at times, it makes the pressure to conform so irresistible. But we've got to resist because those voices will always drag us off mission. And at times, there's the voices of the critics within our own camp. People who, for whatever reason, like comfort, like the predictability of where things now are and where things were and we kind of hang on to that and we don't want to change. But then there's the one voice that does matter. It's a strong voice, but it's a comforting voice. It's a challenging voice, but it's never an overwhelming voice. It's a firm voice at times, but it's also a loving voice. It is God's voice, your heavenly father, my heavenly father. And he's telling us to do what he told Joshua to do which is to have the courage to follow through. Do not be discouraged. Be strong. God will always be with us. And we will never be without his presence. And he wants us to experience the joy, the fulfillment and the fruit of walking in obedience for what he's planned for us to do. And that's where I want to be. Amen. I'm going to invite the team back. Let's pray. Father God, I, I pray that we would be people just like Joshua. Positioned to hear. And Father, through this whole series, I, I pray that it has challenged us to draw close to you. That we would make the number one priority of our life. Actually seeking you. Just being found in your presence, allowing your voice to speak into our circumstances. And Father, as we learn to listen, I pray that that would cause us to grow. 
And when we learn to listen, we will hear your voice. And when we do hear your voice, we've got to let go of the past as Joshua had to. We've got to grab a hold of the promises. But then we've got to know the confidence of your presence. And I pray that in every way, we would be, to borrow a phrase, true spirit-filled believers. Living lives on mission for you. Overwhelmed by your love. Overwhelmed by your presence. Being in that place where our communication with you is really, really healthy. Because we've sought that. That our relationship with you is healthy. Because we've hungered after that. And that we find our true fulfillment and purpose in following what it is that you've gifted us and wired us and positioned us to accomplish for the sake of your kingdom. Make that real for us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.